Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Hello, and welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Jacqueline Witt, and I'm a professor of strategy here at the U.S. Army War College, and in my spare time, I get to be the editor and producer of this podcast. One of the best parts of embarking on this particular adventure is that I get to meet and talk with many of the people who visit the Army War College, and I get to talk to them about things that they know very, very well, and I get to learn a lot. So today I'm pleased to continue our series on perspectives on strategic leadership by sitting down with General Joseph Lingell. General Lingell is the 28th Chief of the National Guard Bureau and is a member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. General Lingell was commissioned in the United States Air Force in 1981 and throughout his career has served in a variety of assignments, but now his focus is on ensuring the readiness of Army and Air National Guard personnel and units and on advising at the highest levels of government. So welcome to the War Room Podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Great. So I know it's been a long day, but we figure we'll start with a, an easy question, um, which is what should people know about the National Guard and the National Guard Bureau that maybe they don't know? Well, I think, um, you know, I like them to know that the National Guard is such an important part now of the Department of Defense, a big piece of the United States Army and a big piece of the United States Air Force, um, and we're involved every single day on every in every combatant command uh, around the world. Um, you know, in, in times gone past, the National Guard was thought of as a place where people would go not to go to war, to avoid uh, war, um, or a place to go where, you know, you weren't uh, part of the first-line fighters or the the people that are going to be gone all the time. And so I I like to think that, uh, you know, right now as I talk to you, we've got, you know, 30,000 guardsmen that are deployed around the world in a Title X mission set somewhere as part of the Army and the Air Force in every combatant command. Yeah, and Title Ten just means Title Ten means they're federal, just like the active army, like the active air force. They're basically a part of the air force and the army that are deployed. That are forward. That are forward, and and uh, we've got another ten thousand who are in a duty status here in the United States, either on the southwest border um, or defending, um, you know, critical infrastructure, power plants, uh, keeping people safe in New York City and Grand Central Station, or getting ready for a hurricane to hit Louisiana. Um, you know that are that are working so f- about 10% of our force right now as I'm talking to you is is uh, away from their jobs their civilian jobs and engaged in in a piece of of activity with respect to keeping America safe um, or or fighting our wars or protecting our folks so you know I like to tell people that uh, in the National Guard we do three things we, we first fight our nation's wars um, and then well when we're not doing that we're able to be used by our governors in our homelands to respond to emergencies or disasters or whatever the need might be as a force that the governors can call and make them be mobilized just like uh, if, like the president does when he sends us abroad to fight our wars and the third thing is build partnerships uh, which we we do many uh, places around the world with 81 countries we have a a unique partnership set up now so warfight homeland partnerships is kind of my bumper sticker for the three things that the national guard does and it's a very uh, engaged, talented uh, force. Great. So really big, important missions and lots of people involved every day in executing those. Um, I'd like to move a little bit and, and ask you about your 
your own sort of leadership development, your own thinking as a senior leader, as a strategic leader. And we'll start off um, by asking you to think about who are the strategic leaders, um, military or civilian, contemporary or historical, who are the people you admire most? Well, I mean, gosh, there are so many people out there that have done so many big things. That's a really hard question. It is, and you it's know? also a really hard question to narrow to yeah. narrow down, but I won't limit you. Well, you know, I, I'm going to go to the people that I know best and the people I watch uh, most often that actually uh, have very important strategic level jobs that I that I think um, are just fantastic people. And as you know, as a, as a member of the Joint Chiefs, I get to watch the other Joint Chiefs, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Um, you know, they're incredibly talented and and broad and and. and and knowledgeable uh, people who have uh, big jobs and know how to approach strategic issues to uh, get where they need to be. And, you know, I think that watching, uh, you know, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Dunford, as he has a, you know, crystal clear strategic vision on where he believes, uh, you know, the military supports the national defense strategy and how he works through issues to get all of the right players and people together to um, accomplish what it is that he's trying to get done. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very, very interesting to watch. And, um, you know, clearly the nation is a better place and a safer place because we have uh, those kinds of people that are, that are ascending into those kinds of jobs. Good. So you said uh, the sort of crystal clear vision. Are there other qualities or characteristics that you think are, are really important for senior or strategic leaders to have? Well, yeah, I think, uh, you know, strategic leaders... Uh, have an ability to uh, first define the issue that it is that they're trying to solve. I mean, what is the problem set that we divine, you know, strip away all of the, um, you know, uh, issues that surround it and get to the issue that you are really trying to solve. And um, every strategic leader that I've watched and admired has an ability to ask these these critically thinking strategic questions that probe and get into the issues that that you're trying to get at and um you know i think uh the ones that i have watched amongst the joint chiefs and the chairman and secretary of defense and all of the people inside the department of defense and uh, even the senior civilians they have uh, such a such an ability to get to the questions that uh, are important um so that you can get to the solutions that you need to get to um, absolutely. So one of the things, um, we talk about that a lot with our students here at the War College. Uh, and so speaking of War College students, maybe, let's move from the strategic leaders uh, that are that are around you at the, at the highest levels. Let's talk a little bit about colonels uh, and colonels or, or maybe their equivalents. Um, in, your, in your mind, what do you think it is that separates the very best colonels or O6s or people operating at that level uh, from maybe the, the rest of the pack? You know, I think, um, you know, colonels were good lieutenant colonels, and they were good majors, and they were good captains, and they were excellent at the tactical issues um, that the men and women who they command, uh, you know, need to, need to be. They, they know their jobs. They know what they're doing. They know how to uh, drive lethality and readiness and excellence, and they're mission-focused. And, you know, I think that... Um, you know, the best colonels are not people that just can do that, but they uh, are, again, uh, able to expand uh, the conversation to have everything they ask or say put in the context of uh, the mission that they're assigned to do. Um, they 
they aren't set necessarily on any one specific way necessarily to, to get to a problem set. They're able to uh, build teams. They're able to uh, build a consensus and, and, you know, and when time allows it so that they can you know, bring the whole team along and, and get sure. the mission success. Those are the, those are the best ones, the, yeah. the ones who bring everybody on board the team, you know, not just not just from their service, but from the, the, the full community of interests that are engaged in whatever issue it might be that they're working. When it seems especially important as relatively few colonels will have command, um, but they are acting in advisory capacities, they're acting in staff roles, and they're, they're run, in many cases running organizations, right? And so building the team seems deeply, deeply important. Is there a piece of advice you would give our War College colonel graduates about how to how to do that? Well, I think, um, you know, generally having uh, some idea where you want the team to go is a good idea. Um, and but trying to get the team you're leading to uh, figure out that on their own is, uh, you know, guiding them and leading them and having them buy in along the way is 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 helpful. And, and if you can do that and, you know, you always have the I'm the boss card in your in your pocket and you can pull it out and say, this is where we're going. But if along the way you can you can find ways to manipulate the team such that they figure at, that out along the way and, and get there on their own. You're almost always in a much better place at the end of the day. Yeah, where you don't actually have to put you the card on the table. You don't have to take that table. card out and say, okay, no, there, there are obviously times and where sure. time constraints and you don't have time to do that and you have to do it. But given the time and ability to manipulate it and move to the best solution, I think it, it, forces, it forces you to bring everybody in. And, and sometimes I've found that you get to a different solution than you thought you were going to sure. get to. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe a, a personal experience where you – have had a strategic issue that has been really thorny or naughty and, and how you approached the problem. You don't have to, maybe not details about the problem itself, but how did you go about solving a thorny strategic level question? Well, you know, I, I think I would offer first that most strategic level questions are they're all thorny. You know, Fair. If, they, if, if, <laughs> if they were easy uh, to get to, the, to uh, a solution on these big types of questions, um, you know, anybody could do it. So... You know, I think that uh, it's very difficult for me to think of a, of a particular one particular, uh, you know, issue that that I would uh, drive at. But, you know, kind of the, you know, the strategic issue of maintaining this National Guard as an operational force. How do we how are we able to stay committed to being this force that can be deployed, that can be uh, take the time it needs to be a ready force yet? Um, stay true to our business model in in the National Guard piece as, hey, I've got an employer that these people have to work right. for, and we've got to be predictable. And how do I stay true to two masters, the, the, the Army and the Air Force and, and also the employer? You know, and I think that um, it comes down to communication. It comes down to bringing all the parties in and, and communicating. These are the strategic issues and, and reasons why um, we have to do both things, why, why we need this force to be uh, ready and why we need this force to be away from their job for a long period of time. Um, you know, we, we have to convince that employer of that kind of thing. And likewise, we have to convince the Army that, look, you've got to work with us here. We've got to be flexible in our training schedules and methods and the way we do our mm -hmm. training can't necessarily always fit into a, a specific kind of box because we have different limitations that the active opponent doesn't have. So, you know, I think that uh, communication is key. I think, uh, you know, look, trying to see the issue from all sides of all parties uh, will help you get to the, to the best solution uh, 
you know, every single time. And it's, it's uh, like I say, most big strategic issues are difficult. You've got different people on all sides of, look at our, our you sure. know, it's clear every day we have that same problem. And you've got people from all, like you said, all different sort of sectors of the American economy, of the American government, um, who are stakeholders, who have a vested interest in what the National Guard Bureau is doing and what guardsmen are doing all across um, the United States and all over all over the world. Um, I'll ask you to think, in, again, just in your, in your head, if, if you were to pick one day in, in your sort of strategic um, leadership career, in, in, since you've been maybe a three or four star general officer, mm-hmm. um, and you think that was, that was my best day at work, what, what, would, what makes that day a good day? Hmm. So I, I, uh, most of my days are good days. You know, I, good I live hear. in the greatest country in the world, and we have uh, the best people that somehow we convince to come and, and dedicate their lives to the military. But uh, I'll modify the question. I'll, okay. mo- I'll modify my, my response just a bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick uh, not, not one day, but I'm going to pick one trip. Okay. I, I just recently went on a trip, and I went to several, several uh, different nations uh, around the world where we had National Guard soldiers and airmen deployed. Um, and, uh, and so I went, uh, I went to the Ukraine and I saw, I went to Ukraine and I saw National Guard soldiers that were kind of embedded in the training center for Ukraine military forces there. And we were helping them become a more, uh, effective and lethal force, frankly. We were, we were making their force, uh, train themselves in, in a better way. And we were providing them assurance that we were there. And this is a nation that is at war with currently Russia currently yeah, going they're in on. a precarious sort of tough position there um, and I saw how much they relied on the Tennessee National Guard who was there as trainers for the Ukraine military forces and I went from there to Georgia the country of Georgia and uh, they were having a, a big uh, use of your exercise that had 13 partner nations, including um, you know, mostly NATO members in, in Georgia, another country 20% occupied by Russia. And uh, they were doing a, a full-up exercise to make their forces more ready and to integrate better with uh, NATO forces and Western European forces. Again, the Georgian National Guard, who's a member of their state partner, who's a state partner with so the Georgia's country, matched Georgia, up with Georgia? Georgia and Georgia. That's how natural, a, that's how a natural nice, is that? It's a nice coincidence yeah. or and, planning. And so, again, um, the relationships, the trust, the uh, ability for, um, you know, our our National Guard enterprise there to make them a more ready force in Georgia, um, it was it was good to watch, you know. And, and I went from there to Kosovo. This is all in a one-week span. And I saw that in Kosovo, the I went to the minister of the Kosovo Security Forces office, and uh, he had a a flag of uh, uh, Iowa, the state of Iowa flag was in his office and they are a partner with, you know, in the state partnership program with Iowa and constant uh, interaction and training and results. And we had 600 National Guard forces there, of course, in, in uh, the, the Kosovo forces mission there, K-4 mission that's ongoing uh, in Kosovo. And, and so to see um, the engagement again and the assurance and uh, you know, way that makes that country feel that the United States is there with them to help them train and be a better force was, was something else. And I, and I came back from that trip, and uh, I went from straight from there out to uh, uh, NTC in, in, in Fort Irwin. And I saw the Pennsylvania National Guard uh, in Fort Irwin in the National Training Center, the 56th Striker Brigade, uh, doing full up, you know, this is uh, the highest collective training we do in the National Guard. And they had with them 
uh, embedded was a infantry company from Lithuania the, that mm -hmm. also happens to be the state partner of Lithuania. So here we are, we're doing our, our, our most demanding training scenario possible uh, in NTC. It's 110 degrees right. and everybody's out there and the Lithuanians are right there with them uh, training together uh, as partners in, in uh, some of the most demanding um, scenarios that you can imagine. And I left there and I went to Northern California. I saw a thousand National Guard soldiers and airmen who were operating to put out wildfires and, you know, the northern part of California where people had signs up all over the place saying, um, you know, thank you, first responders. Thank you, National Guard. Thanks for saving our homes. Thank you for doing these kinds of things. Um, you know, and I, I got back at the end of that trip and I thought, you know, if my goal is to help uh, facilitate an operational National Guard that does uh, warfight homeland partnerships, I saw it all right there in that 10-day uh, sure. span across, uh, cr cr across a good span of the world. And uh, that was a good day for me. That's a, I think that's a great example. And I always think to myself, I should switch the order of these questions. Um, but I'm going to ask you about what are, what's a day like where you go home or you think, this was, this was not such a good day. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave it up to you to, to tell us about the, the not so good days. So, I mean, I, I, maybe it's just my nature, but, you know, I have challenges and I have successes. And, I, you know, I'll take, I'll take for granted, all right, I never declare victory. I never say we're completely finished. We can always get better. We can always improve. Even if I think it's a good day, I look uh, through that scenario across, a, you know, what we just went on. How can I make it better? Sure. How can we do more? Um, you know, and likewise, you know, on a bad day, you know, from doing our job, as long as people are working out there, doing their job, and they're ethically and morally and legally in tune with all the things that we ask them to do, hey, man, we're going to come back in tomorrow, and, and I'll, I'm going to fix, I'm going to work to make it better. We, we can make any, any day that hasn't been a success yet, we can continue to work for success. So I, I honestly can't tell you that I, I ever come home and say, this was a really bad day. You know, I, I have some days that are less fun than other days. Sure. I have some days where, you know, somebody will do something that gets illuminated by the press as having uh, done something less than morally or ethically, uh, you know, uh, sound behavior. That that makes me feel bad. I, I don't like when we, we fail at, at that level. But, uh, you know, when people are out there working every day to be ready and to be lethal, to do warfight homeland partnerships, um, I don't ever see them as bad days. I just see them as days where, days hey, we, where we've got more work get to better. do. we got more work to do, Very and that's good. it. Excellent. Um, so to, to close out our, our conversation, we talk a lot uh, with our students here, and, and, and it's a major topic of conversation all over, uh, is maybe the idea of, quote, unquote, work-life balance or... Um, time management that that at senior levels at the strategic level um, time management is is a critical sort of feature can you tell us a little bit about how you manage to do all of the things that you are required to do all of the things that you want to do um, how do you manage your calendar how do you manage your uh, white space what white space okay <laughs> no that's a problem and, and so well first of all I, I have a, a terrific staff that you know every, every senior leader has uh, they're, they're surrounded by um, people who really are the best of the best. I mean, they go out and they find these people that uh, because they, they can't do with anything less. All of the people around who work for me um, generally uh, are people that are in demand to go be commanders, to go be leaders, to go be supervisors um, in various parts of our Army and Air Guard. So I have, I have a lot of good help. 
Um, but I will tell you, and I've learned this lesson as my my own, uh, you know, ascendance through the through the ranks was senior leaders always say, you've got to take an active interest in your own schedule and your own calendar, and you've got to focus your time on priorities. And it is awfully easy. And I find myself at times um, where I will lose focus with, hey, if I'm not spending time doing things that only I can do, then I am spending time that's that's being wasted, you know. And so uh, I I do, uh, you know, find it. Every everybody has a challenge of why am I in this meeting and what is this meeting right. doing doing for me? You need time to think. You need time to to uh, you know think about what the the meetings are that you have coming up, the the meetings that you want to have come up, not just uh, that all of a sudden you're in some nonstop uh, you know never ending train of going from here to there to there to there because people, you know, and you want to be accommodating and you find yourself, oh, if someone calls and says they want to have a meeting with you and you say, sure, yeah, I'll, I'll have a meeting. And then, you know, it doesn't fit into your priority bin as good as you'd like it to. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a challenge and it's something you need to spend a lot of time doing. So active prioritizing and delegating and managing that it requires active management, not no just doubt about passive it. No doubt uh, about it. reacting. And it requires, you to, it requires you to build specific time in there to think and do the things that you need to do such that when you have whatever engagement you're going to have, it's, it's productive ready and, to and go. you get what you want out of it. And that's, uh, sure. it's, it's very, you need to be very selfish with your time, but nobody's really in control of their own calendar. No, <laughs> you know, I suppose uh, somebody is, but everybody's got a boss. And every time sure. you think you're, you're, you've got uh, control of your calendar, you, you could lose it. In a heartbeat. This is, yeah, this is a story that, that most of us know pretty well. Um, when you do find maybe some downtime or time to think or reflect, um, what do you are you What do you read? What do you What do you do for professional or sort of personal self development? So um, yeah, I, I do like to read, and you know, I, I generally find myself, um, you know, trying to play catch up on on reading books that uh, Secretary Mattis has, has read. Here, you know, <laughs> he's got such an expansive uh, library of books that he's read that that uh, you know he he mentions a lot of them and. Uh, and so, um, you get added to the, you keep added to my stack, list, you yeah. know, keeps adding to, to the to the thing. But I, I do, I do like to read. I'm, you know, I usually have two or three books going at the same time. And, um, I just, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm working through this, uh, the last lion, William Manchester for his three volume series okay. on, on, uh, Winston Churchill. On Churchill. And it's such a fascinating, uh, you know, he went through so much from, you know, the, end of the 1800s and uh, just finished volume right. one last last night yeah. so talk about a sort of like pivotal moment in in history and, and uh, someone who sees so many so many different things from so many different perspectives right and somebody that yeah he, he just stayed right at it i mean he right. failed at a lot of things as he was as coming up through the Absolutely. ranks but yet such a strategic communicator that uh, ultimately was uh, you know hugely successful great Thanks. It's been so nice to talk to you. I thank you for your time and thanks for joining us at the end of a a day at the Army War College. It's been a great day. Thank you very much for having me. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.com dot army war college dot edu and have a great day